0: Today, I declare victory on behalf of all of North Carolina against the authoritarian tyrants of San Francisco. We beat them, everyone. We beat them. Let's take the win. Take the W here. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted yesterday to end their boycott of us. hmm <laughs> Well, that's the graduation theme. That's not right. Okay, that's not the right. All right. Yeah. In your face, San Francisco, we didn't care for so much longer than you cared. We just outlasted you. Our inability to give a flying Fig Newton about anything you think about us proved to be the superior tactic. In the boycott war. Now, to be fair, San Francisco did have several other opponents in this battle, and we just had them, right? I mean, they, they were boycotting 30 different states. And we were just one of them. And we only had to not care about one city, right? So, admittedly, the odds were kind of stacked against them in this battle. I understand. They, they boycotted 30 states um, that had passed... Conservative laws. The board voted seven to four. So, I mean, it was, they, yeah, I mean, it wasn't unanimous. There were still four of them that were like, I want to keep fighting. And so they repealed this 2016 law that prohibited city employees from traveling to or doing business with companies in states that passed conservative laws. Okay? Kind of expansive. Now, I have to admit, I really – I almost didn't even believe this story when I first read it at National Review by Brittany Bernstein because it says that they ended this boycott after they determined that their rule was too costly and ineffective. And I don't believe that because when has any government program that's been too costly and ineffective ever been ended, right? Like, you want me to believe that's the reason why you're ending this thing? Come on. Come on. Uh, you got to make it a believable reason. So they voted 7-4. to four. To do away with their boycott, the Board of Supervisors first enacted this in an effort to punish states that had enacted what it viewed as restrictions on LGBT rights after the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell v. Hodges legalized same-sex marriage nationwide. Since 2015, the Board of supervisors had amended this law to include states that in its view had limited voting rights, abortion access, right? They just, they just started. I mean, and look, this is always the case with the Marxists. It is always the case, right? At at first it's easy to identify the baddies in the revolution, right? You like, Oh, there's the landowner. He's the baddie. Oh, that's a capitalist. He's a baddie. Um, and so you go up and, you know, you, you eradicate them, you blame them for all the problems. And then what happens, though, is that now, you know, nobody owns any land. There's no more capitalists because, you know, you murdered them all and threw them in a ditch. And so now what are you left with? Well, now you're left with just like Marxists, your fellow Marxists. So how do you keep that revolutionary spirit alive? Because Marxism requires there to be somebody to pick on. You got to identify somebody. It's always their fault, Right. So you got to start finding some other groups, okay? Then you go after like the useful idiots, and you whack them, and then, right? But eventually you start now. You're going after like uh, uh, your 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 own people, your the insiders. So you got you got people that are your your fellow citizens. And like, oh, these are the double agents, these spies. Like you hear this all the time out of Venezuela, right? They're always talking about infiltrators. You know, I don't know. It's like this. It it, it just it just seems like. They, they ran out of targets. It's not achieving the goal we want it to achieve, said Supervisor Rafael Mandelman, the sponsor of the legislation to repeal the boycott. Quote, it is making our government less efficient. Which, I mean, honestly, when, uh, when, has, when has a leftist ever cared about government becoming less efficient? I'm not believing this cover story. There's got to be some other reason going on. I think they may want to travel. I think they may want to come to a couple of these states. I think that's the problem. I think that's really what's going on. They really would like to travel to some of these states. They want to go to Florida, like everybody else in California, apparently, right? They want to go down to Florida, they but they don't want to. Right, yeah, I think this is right, because the point was always about the virtue signaling, right? Like San Francisco, I mean, like what they're holding so many conventions in other states. That, oh, this is really going to sock it to these states that passed a law you don't like. Oh, my gosh, no, San Francisco, don't take your your once every three-year trip away from us. I I don't get it. Oh, no, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and the city government, they can't come to Charlotte for a retreat or something. Right, so the point is always about the virtue signaling. So why does it matter what the cost is? Is there really, I mean, can you put a price tag on on trying to demonstrate your moral superiority to, right, to other uh, Americans? Like, in your efforts to show that you are so much better than everybody else, is, can you really put a, a, a price tag on it, particularly if it's being paid by a taxpayer and not you? Really? Come on now. The rollback comes after a report by the city administrator's office, which found... <laughs> It found that no states had ever appeared to change their laws in response to the boycott. <laughs> this, is I, this is what I mean. We won. Our, our utter lack of giving a poop about what San Francisco did, uh, that won the day for us. So good job. I don't know why this, like to me, this proves like the Gen X tactics work like Gen X and us just not caring about this stuff it's like this is the this is the approach i love it um a budget and legislative anal- uh, analyst's report also found that the city had done business with states on the boycott list <gasps> no at two san francisco at two my goodness, they couldn't, even get, they couldn't even do it themselves. They couldn't even last. They couldn't, like, now granted, it's been going on a while. It's been, you know, maybe it'd be, that's a long time to, like, give up something. I'm thinking along the lines of Lent, you know, you give up chocolates or something. This is a long time to give up travel to, like, 30 different states, right? A one-year, uh, a one-year period. Between mid 2021 and 2022, saw waivers for contracts and purchase orders totaling $791 million. Meanwhile, the budget and legislative analyst also found that the city had spent $475,000 in staffing expenses to carry out the boycott. So it cost them half a million dollars to carry out a boycott. Think about how absurd that is. See, there's the GovCo program that I knew existed. It cost you half a million dollars to not do something, right? To right, to just say, "Hey, we're not going to go to that state. We're not going to do business in that state." It literally cost you half a million dollars. So there was this additional administrative burden. It also, by the way, limited opportunities for city staffers that might otherwise uh, they have they might otherwise would have enjoyed had they gone to these states for different things. For example, do you want to take a guess at Who might have been most impacted, unintended, of course, but who might be the most impacted demographic of the attempt to boycott the other states for enacting conservative policies? You know where they might be? There you go. The report noted the boycott had other unwanted consequences, including adding more red tape for a program that paid for teenagers to visit historically black colleges and universities that are located in the banned States, right? So these teenagers would have otherwise been able to have traveled to Southern States where these HBCUs exist to go to see the campuses and meet the students and the professors and all that. But they got barred from doing so because of these boycotts. This is what they did. They unintended, of course, they most negatively impacted students of color. Isn't it always the way with the, with the lefties? Supervisor Shaman Walton, or maybe it's Shaman Walton, said that he does not want to make it seem that the city is, quote, not still fighting against these discriminatory practices and laws. <laughs> so he voted against it. Shaman Walton was like, no, no, we shouldn't get rid of this because we don't want people thinking that we're not fighting against these discriminatory practices. Okay, let's recap. How are you exactly fighting against these discriminatory practices in the other states? First off, you don't live in the other state. Your city is not located in those other states, right? And your way of, quote, fighting us was to not come here. And not spend money here, but also spend more money internally and deprive your own people of opportunities and not have any impact whatsoever on our laws. That's how you were fighting us. So you were fighting us by not having any impact whatsoever on us. Gotcha. Please keep up the fight. Please do so. You're doing a fantastic job. Oh, by the way, San Francisco, I have an idea for you. I've got an idea, considering all the crime that I've seen coming out of your city. And I saw a video at a Target store shot in San Francisco where everything was under the glass cases, behind the glass cases. Have you seen the video? I have an idea. Because you know me. I'm all about solutions. I have an idea for you. consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor there really is something for everyone at old grouch's military surplus in beautiful downtown clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. right so san francisco after having suffered such a colossal defeat at the hands of us and are not caring uh, san francisco has a problem keeping businesses in town. Apparently they're boycott. Maybe they're boycotting themselves and they don't even realize it. Huh. That's possible. But uh, San Francisco Target Store has put basically its entire uh, cosmetics department on lockdown. <laughs> so somebody went on to the TikTok. I think it's a TikTok video and uh, told the Chinese on the video, as all the videos do inform the Chinese, they uh, that that this target store in san francisco the, like they're walking through and the entire area it's just all like the the clear plexiglass covers the whole thing like you're it's it's remarkable to see that you just walk down this aisle so you could see everything on the shelves but if you want anything on the shelf you got to go and ask uh uh um, an employee right and it's target so yeah, good luck finding one of those. Oh, I kid, I kid, Target. Um, you see them all over. They just don't talk to you. But the uh, the entire store, like is all, almost the entire store is on lockdown. And that got me thinking, got me thinking. What if you put the whole store under one of those boxes? Just get a really big plexiglass box. Safe. And put it right over the whole store. And then you have a key, and the employees will let individuals in or out, depending on what you want. Like, you come in, you're like, hey, I want to buy this thing. Best Buy had a similar thing going during the pandemic. I mean, not with the box and all. But you would walk in, and they had somebody at the desk. Because remember, they were trying to limit the number of people that were coming in under that charade but they were trying to limit numbers of people coming in so we could socially distance and not have uh, full occupancy or whatever and so you'd walk in and you would tell them uh, or they would ask you what are you looking for and i would always say trouble but no i would say you know oh, i'm here to buy this item or whatever And then they would direct you over to that item so you could go to that area get your thing and then check out more quickly but why don't we just do that except under a big plexiglass case you know at target even better Cities like San Francisco and Asheville, like we talked about earlier, put the whole city under a plexiglass box. And then the mayor stands out front. And uh, I mean, you could take shifts with the other elected officials and you would open up the case to let somebody in or out. I think, look, I, I think there is merit to this proposal. I don't see a downside. I don't see a downside. Of putting, I, I don't see a downside of putting these big gla, uh, plexiglass boxes over cities like Asheville, like uh, like San Francisco. I mean, if it's working to secure the products on the shelves of a Target in San Francisco, why not think bigger and just protect the whole city of San Francisco with the with a much larger plexiglass box? In fact, um, we can also yeah, Portland seems like Portland needs one too. The outdoor retail giant REI announced that it plans to close its store in Portland's Pearl District early next year, citing an increase in crime and theft. In an email to customers, REI said its store in Portland, quote, had its highest number of break-ins and thefts in two decades, despite actions to provide extra security. It plans to close the location ahead of its lease expiration in February. REI is the latest major retailer to close Portland stores and the highest profile among them to publicly blame theft as the reason. Nike closed one of its Portland stores to public access, telling city officials that the closure was due to shoplifting. Walmart also recently closed its only two Portland stores for underperformance. Retailers, large and small, say theft is a growing problem in Portlandia and that city officials have been slow to respond. They opened this store 20 years ago. Um, They said, uh, we do not believe a downtown Portland location will be possible in the near term. They even met at one point with Mayor Ted Wheeler's office to try to share their concerns for the safety of their employees and members and customers. Spokesperson for the mayor's office said, yeah, we were working with them to find ways to address crime in the district, including more police patrols. Racist. And uh, focused efforts on designated days to try to intercept and arrest shoplifters. REI put in security glass. They hired around the clock private security. Um, They increased surveillance systems. But the volume of break ins, shoplifting, other crimes, it was just, it overwhelmed it. They spent almost a million dollars on security, and it was, and they were overwhelmed. See? Plexiglass box right over Portland. Problem solved. You're welcome. Um, ooh, I just got a message from some anonymous person who said, my tweets are fascinating and hopes that we can become friends and exchange. Click this link. No, oh, I will not click that link. Uh, all right, let me get to some emails all here. I'm on Twitter. uh mm mm, mm, mm. Oh, I already did the, I already did the uh, Asheville. So earlier in the program, we were talking about the Asheville City doing their 60-day um, initiative to really step up policing efforts there and clean up a lot of the poop and the needles that they had just allowed to accumulate because, you know, they care about people. Uh, and so now for 60 days, starting May 1st, uh, they're going to really, really make an effort. Um, I, you know, and I call it uh, 60 days uh, to flatten the curve or stop the spread. I'm, I'm sure it'll totally uh, work um do do so here's this one from uh Dave the uh it says Pete the Asheville cleanup is not going to work unless the city leaders support the police and the court system punishes the lawbreakers if the courts go woke or lenient it won't work uh Tom says Pete I enjoy your show and listen almost daily thank you Tom Uh, We used to meet our friends from Knoxville, Tennessee, in Asheville, twice a year, spring and fall. We would shop, eat, play golf, just have fun, just hang out. A couple years ago, when Asheville authorities announced that they were going to look into reparations, those trips came to a screeching halt. We figured they could do reparations without our tourism dollars. Since then, we have not regretted our decision at all. It would be interesting to know if Asheville's tourism has suffered in the last few years. Um, and then Stan says, um it is it, regarding the uh, San Francisco Board of Supervisors <laughs> right that uh, that is uh, they abandoned their boycott of North Carolina, so we totally beat them, we won by not caring about their boycott, and their boycott failed and it cost them money actually, and it hurt their own people. but um you know, can you really put a price tag on this like can we really put a price tag on this virtue signaling that we are superior to you by boycotting you right? And Stan says it's easy to say that you can't put a price tag on something if you're not the one paying for it, but instead have the power to force other people to pay for it, right? Then sky's the limit. That is so true. Right? Matt says, Pete, this is in reference to uh a call the other day. Was it Winston? I think it was Winston. Yes, Winston, who talked about his Rolex watch, remember? Uh Pete, you get me through my day. I mean, not literally, but I listen to you and I like listening to you. And then I leave work at three. I love your sarcasm. And I love your jokes. Sarcasm. What are you talking about? I really like when you partake in conversations with the callers like Winston and Tony and Dean. Hello, Dean. If we can't define the word woman, what other words could we redefine? Could we ever redefine offensive words to mean something else? I know you are a giver. My coworker got a plain digital watch That just told time. I mean, it wasn't a Rolex. It was a digital Casio. His eight-year-old son said, what else does it do? He certainly doesn't have a Rolex like Winston. Keep up the good work. (laughs) Thank you, Matt. Uh, (laughs) Then Blair uh, yesterday said uh, that I was describing creative destruction when I talked about things going in cycles, and he's exactly right. Or she. I don't know. Blair? Could be, yeah. He loved, well, that's the, the facts of life, right? Blair from Facts of Life. You take the good, you take the bad. It could be, it could be I don't know. Anyway, um, Joseph Schumpeter called it creative destruction. He loved capitalism and all of its benefits, but said it would fail due to his success. It would basically cannibalize itself and slowly evolve into socialism, especially if you add in any democratic form of government. Who gets to lead this socialist movement? Well, the very folks who benefited from capitalism. Is this so far-fetched? I don't think so. Bill Gates will lead our agricultural department with all of his farms. Looks like Elon Musk will lead our electrical grid and transportation department. Jeff Bezos, he will be our czar of shopping, right, or our commerce guy. Yeah, that's, yeah, Schumpeter, socialist. Um, I got some other emails here. Um, This is from David. If anyone... Uh, hey Pete, if any if anyone station goes I don't if anyone station goes against the pro-Ukrainian war narrative, I think he means to say if anyone at the station <clears throat> goes against the pro Ukrainian war narrative or calls out the Nord Stream pipeline bombing the USA did, will you all get fired like Tucker Carlson for questioning the war and motives? Yes, David, we will. I'm just kidding, dude. (laughs) Come on. Give me a break. (laughs) This is, I never understand this line. I've never understood it. This idea that if I don't talk about the thing you want me to talk about, that I'm somehow being told not to talk about it. Nobody's telling me not to talk about it. No one's telling me to talk about things. I don't get these. I don't, I, I, I don't get directives like that. Okay. Now that, all right, hang on a second. That isn't true. That isn't true. I, did, I was told to mention that tonight is the News and Brews event. I was told I should, I should promote this event. I was told that. But as far as other topics go, no, I'm not, I'm not instructed about things to, to say and not to say. And by the way, I don't know why Tucker Carlson got fired. You don't either, David. You may think you do, but you don't. Right? You don't know that. Um, oh, so I guess this is you also on Twitter. Hello, I am going to bring this up tonight at the event, in this fashion if I have to. I really hope y'all are ready and open. No war, no complicit silence anymore. We need peace. For someone who's wanting the peace, you sound very aggressive. Look, David, I don't know what other hosts talk about. I don't. I don't listen to all of the other shows. I'll listen to Brett when I'm driving home. I listen to Vince driving in. In the mornings, I'll have them on Good Morning BT. Like, if I have the station on, I'm listening, but I don't monitor everybody's shows. I have no idea what other hosts are talking about. Those are their shows. They get to talk about whatever they want. Nobody tells us what we can and cannot talk about. You want to talk about Seymour Hersh? I want you to defend everything he's ever reported. And I want you to defend a single-sourced, anonymous source story that you obviously believe. So I'll ask you that question. So be prepared for that. Okay? Cool. Looking forward to it. I know one topic I'm going to talk about tonight. This is fantastic. Okay. All right, now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustin Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at CarolinaReadiness.com. Get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? One other piece here on the crime though. Um on the crime front. Uh Matt Iglesias, who is of the left, he does a, he's got his own sub stack. It's called Slow Boring. Um and it, which is not like boring as in like snoozer, but I think it means like drill down, but whatever. Um, he, had a, he had a fella write a guest column, a guest piece um, at his Substack. And I know this other writer. His name is Charles Fane Lehman. He's a conservative, he's a, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he's a contributing editor of City Journal. And uh, the headline on this was The Criminal Justice System Doesn't Do Enough to Make Us Safe. Americans are Concerned About Crime. Voters' perceptions of crimes, though, don't always match reality. Today, they're not far off, though. Homicides have risen sharply since 2019 by as much as 30% uh, through 2021. Rates have only recently begun ticking down. Motor vehicle theft remains elevated nationwide. And while the pandemic suppressed lots of street crime, criminologists Aaron Chalfin and Maxim Masenkoff have argued that robbery and assault also rose after controlling for the drop in foot traffic. So to this, some might respond that, well, okay, the upticks are real, but they're relatively small compared to the 80s and 90s when homicide rates were double what they are today, and that's true, but it's also not the full story. A lot of major cities have seen record homicide figures, and among young black men already most at risk of homicide death, Rates are approaching prior peaks. Even during the pre-pandemic lows, America was a much more violent place than many of our peer countries. Among the countries, uh, the OECD nations, right? You compare the data. uh, America has the fourth highest homicide rate, the fifth highest serious assault and rape rates. America is a much more dangerous place than our level of prosperity suggests that we should be. There are... Lots of popular explanations for the disparity. Matt Iglesias has observed some of it is attributable to the larger number of guns we own. Some of it may be cultural or subcultural, right? The persistence of Southern honor culture explains part of why that region has a higher homicide rate as well. Did you know that? It's, and that's been the case forever, really, uh, since yeah, since people started moving here from from the hills of, you know. Scotland and Ireland and such. Um, so uh, Travis Fain Lehman and Rayhan Salam suggest a different perspective. Identifying root causes of our comparatively high rates of violence, it's not really that important. The root causes, it's less important than adequately applying the tools of policy to the problem of controlling violence, right? The level of violence should be understood primarily as a function of the extent to which state capacity is exerted to stop it, right? Violence is a policy choice, is what he's saying. It's a policy choice. When you deprioritize the criminal justice system and you allow the problems in it to fester, this is what you see. This is, this is the policy choice. What is needed instead now is a serious investment In criminal justice, one that offers real promise for making America safe. Some might object that America already invests a lot in the criminal justice system. Per the Bureau of Economic Analysis, though, we spend a relatively small share of public dollars, about 4% across all outlays on police, plus prisons, plus judges. It peaked at 6% in 2002, which was a response to the elevated crime in the 80s and 90s, right? They started spending more. That was the peak, 6%. And that's across all of it. Police, prison, judges, courts, right? So, and we're at 4% now. So I thought this was an interesting take. We'll circle back to it, I guess, in coming days. But violence is a policy choice. Interesting. Also interesting, Brett Winterbull. He's coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow or tonight. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) Oh,